0: Welcome to the Take Action Now Summit. You will discover groundbreaking strategies for personal and business growth with leading experts and innovators. Today, transform forward. Step into 2024 with confidence, strengthen your network, build relationships, and develop awareness and skills. Join our 21 world-class speakers and experience inspiration, hope for your future, and an elevation of your ambitions. Inspired Choices Network. Our summit hosts are excited to have you here. Dealing with conflict now—conflict is such, such a real topic for us as human beings. But at the same time, there's something in us that has such, a, such conflict with dealing with conflict. So hard to do. And I'm going to throw out a few numbers for you, just as we be, as we get started here. Workplace conflict costs businesses. 359 billion dollars annually 25 percent of the workplace of the workforce call in sick due to unresolved conflict 85 percent of employees experience conflict in the workplace and 76 percent of employees prefer to avoid conflict when possible who can't relate to that 92% of employees say that resolving conflicts in a timely manner is crucial to their job satisfaction. And the same percentage, 92%, say that it's vital. It's a vital workplace skill. Hence, why conflict management training and education is so important. And that's why I'm doing this little talk today. Some number, some other numbers, 60% of HR professionals believe that workplace conflict is due to bad management. Hence why I do a lot of leadership coaching, consulting and training. 40% of managers spend, sorry, 40% of managers time is spent resolving conflict. 90% of leaders are said to communicate poorly which can naturally lead to misunderstanding, ambiguity, confusion, misinterpretation, which can lead then to friction and conflict. So many other stats that I could put out there. So why is this important to me, this whole topic? This is important to me probably because, first and foremost, probably because my natural personality style does not like conflict. And so I've had to learn to develop these skills. Also because I care about people. I care a lot about people. I care about culture. I care about environment. I care about growth and progress. And it's natural. Some of us shy away from friction. We shy away from conflict, even not only mentally, but also physically. We can like, when we see friction or conflict, go, uh, I'm going the other way. What appears to be negativity, we can shy away from that. What may be potentially hurtful for others, or disagreeable, we can shy away from that. This also interests me because I was part of two large global organizations where the pattern of poor conflict resolution was rampant and over decades became just their way of operating. And I had leadership roles and I just saw how damaging this was. Conflict, friction, and tension in these organizations, it was always channeled upwards rather than being dealt with laterally. Conflict was managed downwards rather than laterally. Dealing with conflict, tension, and friction was also viewed as possibly as not being nice, as going against organizational values, going against goodness and the value and virtue, which we would call charity. And in the end, what happened is this left people with very limited skills in dealing with one of the most common human experiences. Disagreements, differences, friction, tension. And I had leadership roles in this organization. actually so I realized over time that this cultural pattern of behavior, rather than help people, although it probably came from a good place, but it ended up damaging and hurting people. It wasted energy, it created ambiguity. It left way too much space for assumptions, mental drama drawing incorrect conclusions, and so much more. So over the next few minutes, we don't have a lot of time, but we'll get into some foundational principles for the understanding of conflict, what conflict is, What, con- especially what conflict resolution is and what solutions are. We're gonna go from broad principles out to types of conflict, causes of conflict, obstacles in dealing with conflict, and specific ways and methods to deal with conflict. And this applies to the professional world, But there's certain principles and a lot of things that we're going to talk about that will apply to your personal life, the conflict with yourself, and will also apply in romantic relationships or other types of relationships. And if we have time, I'll get to one specific cause of conflict, friction, and tension that happens in relationships and organizations. It's a behavior that 97% of people despise, yet most engage in. So let's remember this. Conflict. Is not bad. It might feel uncomfortable. It's not bad. Unresolved conflict is unhealthy and possibly cancerous. Conflict plus resolution leads to unity, engagement, and productivity. And conflict in relationships or in marriage, conflict plus resolution leads to intimacy. So, how would I define conflict resolution? Conflict resolution. It's a dynamic process in a lot of human activities. things are processes are always dynamic. It's a dynamic process of identifying, addressing, and reconciling tensions, friction, misunderstandings, or disagreements in a constructive and respectful manner resulting in an improved understanding, improved harmony, positivity, and improved productivity. So remember, conflict is not bad. Unresolved conflict is unhealthy and possibly cancerous. Conflict plus resolutions leads to unity, engagement, and productivity. And when we talk about conflict in relationships or in marriage, that remember that conflict plus resolution leads to greater intimacy. And so let's remember, conflict resolution is a dynamic process of identifying, addressing, and reconciling. So we name it, we address it, and we come to some sort of reconciliation around tensions, frictions, misunderstandings, or disagreements. And we do this in a constructive and respectful manner, and it results in improved understanding, improved harmony, improved positivity, and improved Productivity. Who doesn't want that? But it, just by the definition, it all sounds very complex. So we're going to break that down into different pieces. Now, when we look at this, emotional—the emotional part of conflict intentions, and tension and friction—is that's really the hardest part. That's that makes it very complicated. We want to remember timing and emotional regulation is ever so important. I remember a relative that I, that was struggling with one of my major life life decisions. And this individual was talking about it with other people and not directly with me. And this triggered me partly because of where I came from and partly because I wanted people to, if they had issues or something talk about, I wanted them to speak to me about it. And I was trying to exercise these muscles of assertiveness. So in my attempt to be assertive and to deal with it, I called this person right away to engage directly. Again, not good timing. My emotions were high. I was hurt, and rather than resolve and reconcile, I escalated. But we'll come back to the emotional side in just a second. Let's. What are different ways that we can categorize the conflicts? There's many. There's a lot of research out there. So I'll just. I'm going to throw out things that might. So I want you. With everything I'm going to throw out there, I want you to g- just grab onto what you, I. What you can identify with. What is applicable. What whatever you like. Okay. The two broad ways to categorize conflicts are relational conflicts. In other words, personality, the emotional aspect disagreements between individuals, relational, and then actionable conflict, which we, you know, around tasks and processes and things like that. I like to, there's other ways to look at it. There's also styles. In other words, we have personality styles, we have leadership styles, and we have work styles. And those differences, uh, while enriching, that can also cause conflict if we don't understand. Another thing that can cause conflict is lack of professionalism. In other words, we lack respect, we lack courtesy, we're not punctual, we lack responsibility. So lack of professionalism, styles, professionalism. Another thing that can cause conflict and tension is what I would call comparison and competition. And in comparison, it's like there's two extremes here. One is when I compare myself, I sometimes I just walk all over other people, or I let other people walk all over me, or I walk all over myself because I just have the poor self-esteem. Kind of comparison and competition can lead to conflict, tensions, and friction. And then the whole topic of communication. And I smile I smile when I talk about communication, because as human beings, we are wired for relationships, we're wired for communication, but how challenging it is to communicate well. It's something that we, we've been doing for so many centuries. In thousands of years, but it's still something that that it was challenged, right? So, but communication can be a huge cause of conflict, friction, and because we're because of lack of clarity, because of lack of clarity around channels of communication and things like that. That's a whole another topic. But again, just communication. Another cause of conflict, tension, and friction could also be the politics, the politics of organizations, and I, what I call politics over principles. You know, so that we're dancing the dance of politics. We're looking for personal gain. We're looking to get along. We're looking to to get up. We're looking to protect interests or to protect people. We're massaging egos rather than focusing on principles. And then the last cause in the way I kind of look at it is poor culture and environment. When there's a poor culture environment, it can create stress. And therefore, just make people more sensitive. And therefore, they just react in an unhealthy way to conflict. Again, there's a lot to talk about there. And then one last thing over here is change implementation. The way change, change and change management or change implementation when not done properly. And this whether it be in personal life, whether it be in family life, whether it be in organizational life. It causes friction. Naturally, change will cause tension and friction. But if it's not done properly. It can cause a lot of conflict. Another way to phrase this, and I was reading around two two researchers in the early 2000s named Art Bell and Bret Hart. They established eight causes of conflict, specifically in the workplace. And I'm just going to run these through real quick. Again, I'm giving you a lot of information, but so you can see what resonates with you. Eight causes of conflict. Conflicting resources. Conflicting goals. Conflicting pressures. Number four is conflicting roles. Number five would be unpredictable policies. In other words, when policies just are not clear. Number six would be differing values, different personal values. And number seven would be conflicting styles. We talked about styles, and then number eight would be conflicting perceptions. So many things here. Okay, but it's very interesting that they the way they phrase it around those eight causes of conflict in the workplace. And if we took those, obviously, then we would just say, well, what are the answers to that? right? What do we need to, we need to clarify a lot of things so that we don't have these conflicts. Now, we cannot deny that there's a few challenges and obstacles in conflict resolution, and a lot of it's emotional, right? There's a lot of emotional complexities. You know, just that natural feeling that we can have, right? Whether it be in a personal relationship or work I don't want to deal with this, right? Even something inside our stomach, something in our body and our brain, right? Because our brain is wired for self-protection, self-preservation and safety, and so our brain can see conflict, tensions, and friction as a threat. And so that's why they talk about the fight or flight. And so some people have this aggressive, aggressive, what's the word? aggressive approach to conflict, which can cause more conflict, or the flight. You know, Some people just want to escape from it. None of those, neither of those are really the, the helpful way. So what, what we don't see is, the big, is that the biggest threat, the biggest threat, in conflict friction and intentions is to not deal with it appropriately that's the biggest danger and the biggest threat and this happens inside of us when we have conflict with ourselves or when we have conflict with others right we can feel in in relationships we can or in organizations because we can feel hurt we can feel angry we can feel flustered we can feel impatient we can feel offended So a lot of things are triggered in us emotionally. Our ego can feel, my ego can feel hurt. Our sense of power can be hurt. And then it becomes sort of like a fight of muscle power. Who has more power in this? And then what can I leverage to my favor to show this person that they're wrong and I'm right? And we see a lot of this global conflicts. We saw this in a lot of this in national conflicts. We see a lot of this in organization, teams, and in couples. And now that's the, the emotional complexities because a lot of things are triggered, and then we don't deal with either we we either we avoid it or we deal with it incorrectly. So how do people typically respond? C- continuing with this emotional topic, is that you know we can have some people call it the the sulkers the sulkers we can have the sulkers. We can have the screamers, we can have the stuffers, we can have the avoiders, we can have the litigators, the people that go in there and with a lot of aggression, the always writers, we can have the peacemakers and we can have the solution finders. Again, there's a lot that has to do with personality styles. And some tend to be more conflict avoidant or negative avoidant. Some tend to be tension avoidant and others can be more aggressive. Hence why emotional intelligence is so important. EQ, the famous EQ that so many people talk about. So important in all of this. Okay, and, and I'll say this very simply. In emotional intelligence, notice what's going on inside of me. Name and claim my emotions and then regulate. It's called regular, regulate the emotions. Do my emotions that, that are going on inside me, are they going to help me achieve my goal or are they are an obstacle? And if they're an obstacle, I need to regulate them so that they help me achieve my goal. And then notice around me, emotional intelligence has to do with also the noticing the emotions around me and being able to navigate them properly in order to reach the bigger goal. What we want to achieve in all of this is what we what I would call appropriate assertiveness. So on the spectrum of assertiveness, we can have aggression on one extreme, which I've talked about, and on the other, we can have shyness, timidity, and then leading to on the totally on the other extreme would be codependency. So in in clear terms all right i poorly when i when i'm not assertive when i don't have appropriate assertiveness i let people walk all over me or i walk all over other people i let people step on me or i step on other people appropriate assertiveness appropriate assertiveness is that conviction and clarity about my dignity and about your dignity about the dignity of the other. Appropriate assertiveness is I respect your boundaries and I am able to have you respect my boundaries. So it's clarity about dignity, clarity about boundaries and clarity about respect. Now we've gone over what types of conflicts can exist and what are the causes, what conflict resolution is and some of the challenges and and obstacles in dealing with conflict resolution. Let's remember, conflict is not bad unresolved conflict is unhealthy and possibly cancerous conflict plus resolution leads to unity engagement and productivity and in conflict in a relationship or marriage conflict plus resolution leads to greater intimacy so let's talk about solutions for resolution or res- yes solutions for resolution pathways forward attitudes what attitudes do i need in order to approach conflict. Attitudes and how we go to approach conflict, tension and friction. First of all, go with humility. Go being open that I may be wrong. Go in humility, which is living in the truth, living in the truth about me, about the other, about context. Secondly, go in pre-forgiveness. Forgive before you go. I've already forgiven what's happened or I'm looking to understand. Forgiveness is also a journey. That's a whole other topic. But forgiveness is also a journey. But first of all, it's a decision. And then emotionally, that usually takes a little bit longer. But first and foremost, it's a decision. Thirdly, we go in love and care. I care more about the other person than about myself. In other words, I care more about you Then I care about how I feel about you. And fourthly, so we talk about go in humility, go in pre-forgiveness, go in love and care, and fourthly, go in truth. I will bring the truth, the facts, the data. So a few principles now, as we look for solutions, ways to solve this. I like to always say as principles. We talked about attitudes now. Principles. Speak to someone. The person that you're going to deal with, speak to someone who is part of the problem and part of the solution. And this usually means speaking to the individual involved. Speak to someone who is part of, and this is very much linked to gossip, which we probably won't get to today. But oftentimes in gossip, we're we're bringing information to people who are not part of the problem or part of the solution. Second principle, speak to the specific incident, because that's what we're trying to draw clarity about. Thirdly, seek to understand, first and foremost, and then to be understood. Now I'm going to bring you through a few quick methods that might help, since you see what speaks most to you and how you adapt that to your life or to whatever conflict you might be dealing with. There's two, two researchers, Peter and Susan Glazer, and they, they deal a lot with conflict resolution, and they say... First of all, three steps. Prove that you understand their side. In other words, prove that you understand the side of the other. Secondly, acknowledge that you are part of the problem. Because usually if there's conflict, well, this we have something to do with it. Thirdly, try again if the conversation didn't go well. That's, I think it's a bit oversimplified, but that can be helpful. Those are three steps from Peter and Susan Glazer. Now I'm going to offer five other steps and then we got a few more coming after that raise the issue early in other words deal with it sooner rather than later right later it's kind of become sort of this cloud that hangs over us right and it's draining so deal with it sooner rather than later we talked about emotional intelligence so regulate emotions regulate and navigate show empathy in other words look to understand I try to walk in the shoes of them. Well, we can never totally walk in the shoes of the other because, you know, I could sit with a poor person on the west side of the street, we, we could say that that is empathy, right? I'm sitting with them, but I don't know exactly what they're going through, but definitely better than sympathy. So, show empathy, be engaged, engaged listening, engaged in the conversation. And acknowledge constructive criticisms about your behaviors with an open mind and heart. In other words, have an open mind and heart to things that I can probably do better because we all have blind spots. So again, to conclude, I'm going to conclude with a few other steps that I've also found in research. And it's repetitive to what I've already said, but repetition is the mother of learning. So name the conflict, friction, tension. All right, Houston, we have a problem. This is the problem. And if I don't deal with it, the situation will become more serious. Secondly, agree on a code of conduct, whether it be in a couple, whether it be in a team, department, organization. We have to have rules of engagement and how we deal with con- that's why c- conflict training is so important because it gets everyone on the same page on how things are going to be dealt with. Same thing in a couple. A couple has to get has to establish rules of engagement. Right? And in these rules of engagement, we want to show that we care, we want to affirm, we want to respect, we want to trust, be accountable vulnerable and honest then we want to lay out and listen to all sides of the story lay out mean put out all the information listen actively to the events the data points the emotions trying to understand the deeper issues define and summarize the problem discuss and agree on a workable solution so we brainstorm ideas solutions a pathway forward coming to an agreement and then we set a plan of action plan and then a follow-up plan this is what we're going to do We're going to regroup tomorrow. We're going to regroup next week. And we're going to revise. Because it's important to keep our finger on the pulse in conflict resolution. So we conclude remembering that conflict is not bad. Unresolved conflict is unhealthy and possibly cancerous. Conflict plus resolution leads to unity, engagement, and productivity. And in a relationship, a romantic relationship, a marriage-committed relationship, conflict plus resolution, effective resolution, healthy resolution, leads to greater intimacy. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for joining this inspirational talk on the Take Action Now Summit. Inspired Choices Network and our expert speakers are excited to connect with you and learn about your desires to evolve and grow in 2024. If you'd like to learn more about everything Inspired Choices Network offers, including future summits, please email us at info at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com.